Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. This is your host, Jean. I write a blog called Unpickled, and I am a person in successful long-term recovery from alcohol addiction. You can read my story on my blog. And on the line with us here today is my dear friend, Michelle, who, by the way, I knew Michelle for well over a year before I even found out she was sober. And that's always an exciting discovery when someone in our life turns out to share a journey with us. And I just know you are going to love her as much as I do. Michelle, welcome to the Bubble Hour. Hi, Jean. Thanks so much. I'm excited that you're here. You and I have a tendency to put our talking hats on and go for hours and hours. So I think it will be a test of our um, our conciseness skills to keep it to an hour today, but... <laughs> We have a lot to go over. I want to thank you for your willingness not only to discuss your recovery from alcohol addiction, but also how that relates to your experiences as a person with borderline personality disorder. So let's just start out with hearing a little bit of of your story and a little bit about you, Michelle. Sure. Thanks. Well, thanks so much for having me on the show. Of course, I I I'm, I hope I will keep it to the the bubble hour, not the bubble three hours. <laughs> and so, um, I just want to uh, I want to I want to thank you for that. That this is a, a really cool opportunity for me to to share with your listeners and with you. And uh, and I have to say hi, mom, because she's probably going to be listening to this. <laughs> hi, mom. So, uh, we love you. Yeah. Hi, mom. <laughs> In any case, so yeah, um, yeah. My name's Michelle, and uh, I'm 11 years sober, and uh, a treated borderline, six years running. So um, my story is one very much of the chicken and the egg. Which came first? Uh, was it cause and effect? And you know, some another way that I've been looking at it is, did one in some cases protect me from the other? And it's it's been a really really interesting. <laughs> It's been an interesting uh, 11 years, and uh, a, a good bulk of my story now is in recovery, which is pretty cool. You know, when I when I reflected on this to to do this podcast, um, it's been a, it's been a long time since I spoke in this capacity, so I'm uh, I'm a little rusty. But uh, you know, as I was going through things, I really noticed. <clears throat> pardon me. I really noticed that there was there was a lot. There was a real pattern of um, you know, 
the the BPD and the alcoholism and how they and how they worked together and to to reveal themselves at different points in my life. So, um, saying that, a little background on me. Um, I was born in Canada in a Canadian city. <laughs> I know we have a lot of listeners in the UK, I believe. So uh, that Canadian city is sort of a medium size, and I had a Buddhist musician and an earth-loving accounting clerk for parents, and they were young hippies, <laughs> and, uh, and they had absolutely no idea what they were going to be dealing with when they first met me. Um, <laughs> I, I really, really couldn't have been luckier because, like, I hit the jackpot with these two. They were awesome. They were, uh, you know, their unconditional love and their patience and I mean, it's legendary to this day. <laughs> like I, I'm still, I'm still just, uh, I, I'm, I'm a recipient of that unconditional love and that acceptance and support that I've always had from them, which has been, it's been key in my um, managing through the struggles that I've had in my life. <clears throat> so. That being said, outside of some economic hardship, my childhood was good. You know, I grew up, uh, I was loved and I was encouraged and I had a solid, present, extended family that I saw all the time. And uh, I had friends and I was a girl guide and I loved Saturday morning cartoons and New Kids on the Block. And I was a pretty, you know, a pretty standard kid. And uh, I, I grew up um, with the same concerns as uh, I thought everybody else. And uh, what happened was at some point in there, in, at some point in, in that in, in moment's idyllic childhood, um, the biological vulnerability that I was born with met my environment. And I'll never know quite what the precise events and circumstances were that set things in motion but those experiences real and imagined collected and grew like weeds i i i remember little snapshots here and there of of things that maybe could have contributed uh you know um i remember some some bad days some bad experiences and as those things collected for me you know i started to feel like a peeled grape I just felt it all. I felt, I felt when you were mad at me. I felt when you were mad at each other. And I, you know, if I was bullied in school, if I was, um, you know, even uh, in, in, on the good side of things, if, if things were great, I was elated. And, and so those, that range of emotion uh, got deeper and deeper. And so I, I, I ended up, I ended up just going through life uh, thinking that everybody felt this way. Everybody must have felt this way, you know, and, and not, and so when I was going through a typical day and I would have a certain, a particular reaction, it was sometimes met with confusion by my peers or, <laughs> or just, uh, it just wasn't an acceptable reaction. Sometimes it was, it was too much. So I was labeled as dramatic or, uh, emotional or, you know, these sorts of things when really I, I thought that I was, I thought that I was, uh, responding the way that, 
way that uh, made sense and, and, and was appropriate, and I wasn't. And it took me a while to actually, actually start to see that, that that wasn't, that wasn't normal. And when I did start to see that, I, I, I really, I became very, very shy and scared. And, uh, you know, as those, as those emotions were invalidated as being not normal or dramatic or, you know, oh, Michelle, you're okay, what is this, you know, um, as those things continued to go on for me, I, I trusted myself less and I became angry and resentful and, and I acted out. And you Michelle, know what age I, um, did that be where you started to where you started to twig in that this, this is, the, yeah this was this was young this was uh, like I, we're talking um, probably around ten ten eleven years old uh, when I'm I'm in you know my my early grades of elementary school and yeah. I'm starting to form friendships and I'm trying to sort of I'm trying to sort of find where I fit and. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be, you know, involved <laughs> in, uh, in, in what's happening with my peers. And also, of course, at home, too, um, you know, keep those, those relationships solid and loving as well. I, I don't, I'm not doing this mindfully. I mean, I'm 10. But right. <laughs> this is what right. I'm doing, right? So yeah. I'm, 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 sort of, I'm sort of going through life, peeled grape, and... Uh, I couldn't name it. Like I say, I couldn't name any of these feelings that I was having at this time. I, I couldn't name um, invalidation or, uh, you know, even I couldn't even really name. I, I was I was probably as far as happy versus sad. And that was probably about as far as I had gotten with it all. And uh, so when I as I was feeling so deeply all the time, that pain of hurt and that that happiness and that you know um euphoria of of happiness i i didn't really know what to call that i didn't i didn't know what i was experiencing and you know i i, I go through my diaries and there's you know, they're full of bad poetry and tales of unrequited love and 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 all the normal sort of young uh pre-adolescent type stuff and then there's a little bit of anger and there's fear peppered in there and there's resentment and confusion. And it's, and I found it interesting going through those diaries to see those, those dramatic shifts, even on the page, you know, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty stark. So not surprisingly early on, I wanted to escape from this constant sharpness of feeling and at first, I escaped into my imagination. Uh, I, I would escape into books. I would listen to music and daydream. I would, you know, I would go on walks and I would, I would imagine that I was somebody else. Um, I really just wanted to spend time outside of my own reality. And about, um, you know, and there, were, and there were dark moments in that. There, I, I remember there being dark moments in that. My earliest my earliest memory of suicidal ideation would have been around 12 years old. And I, I remember it because it felt, it felt, um, it felt so good. <laughs> I, you know, I, I mean, really it felt, it, it was so um, comforting at that time to think, Hey, I 
just wouldn't have to feel like this anymore. And so that was that would be my my first memory of of starting to look at at suicide as an option. And so going on going through that, of course, um, and not surprisingly, I started experimenting with drugs and alcohol again at, at 12 years old. I took my first drink when I was 12, and uh, and also uh, tried drugs as well, uh, which. Um, for me, where I was uh, going to school was very normal. Um, the other kids were doing this as well. Um, I know that's not everybody's experience, but that was uh, that was my experience at that time. And so I, I didn't really I didn't really like drugs. I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't like how they made me feel, but I really liked how alcohol made me feel. And when I drank, it like it felt like I I grew I grew skin, you know. Uh, the peeled mm-hmm. grape walking around, I had gr- I'd grown a layer. I had, I was comfortable and I, I felt, I felt tough. I felt like I could handle it, you know? And I mean, at the time it was just fun. It was fun. And, and so, you know, um, of course at 12, I, I, for me, I didn't start drinking alcoholically at that time, but those, those little moments uh, when I, when I did find myself, um, in a situation where I had access to alcohol or I was at a party and, uh, you know, it was free flowing, um, you know, for the next 10 years, uh, I, I drank when I could and that, uh, and that began to escalate. So I'm at this point, I'm self-medicating. I'm, you know, I'm drinking to, to escape, um, I'm drinking for fun. I'm drinking to to feel okay in my skin. And before I know it, I'm drinking alcoholically. And I'm 23, and I'm drinking daily. I'm stashing bottles. I'm buying food before, or I'm buying booze. Sorry, before I buy food. Um, dr- and I'm drinking to get up to normal. You know, I'm I'm waking up every day, and I'm not feeling quite myself until I've had a drink. And so this is, I know in, in my, I mean, like I had enough wisdom to know that that probably wasn't a sustainable way to go about life. But at the time I felt like it was reasonable and it was, and it was doing the job. You know, I was, um, I, I was working, I, you know, I was for the most part for a little while there managing and, the alcohol was keeping me afloat and I was, I mean, again, I, you know, um, up to that point, you know, until, until things became really like glaringly unmanageable, I, I was, I was okay. I mean, I, I was 18. I was doing what 18 year olds do. I was partying. A lot of this um, looked pretty, uh, you know, par for the course. So I, it didn't really stand out to those around me that I was, um, I was doing this any more or any less than anyone else. Um, I did move out at eight when I was 18. And so I was living um, with a boyfriend at that time. And, uh, you know, so I'm removed from my, I'm removed from, I'm removed from my family. So they're not seeing me on a daily basis anymore. And I'm, you know, I've sort of made this life for myself, um, you know, outside of that. And, you know, it was, uh, it was what it was. There were, there were good days. There were horrifying days. There were, um, there, there, I got into trouble. I found myself in dangerous situations. I mean, the whole gamut, you know, and, 
eventually, like I say, things got really, really unmanageable. I mean, it wasn't sustainable. It just, it really wasn't a sustainable way to manage my emotions and my life and my normal, you know, my feeling of okay. This was not a way to do it. And uh, my relationships, my finances, my health, like, I mean, even basic hygiene some days, I mean, things were not manageable. Everything was kind of a disaster. You know, I was, I was lying. I was um, acting really selfishly, uh, being irresponsible, you know, um, not showing up for the things that I had, you know, promised to do, not um, coming through. People couldn't count on me anymore. You know, I, uh, and, and naturally this resulted in losing relationships and losing the respect of the people around me and, and losing any financial independence I had worked to have. Uh, I, that, that went as well because money went to the cause and the cause was to get drunk. So I, I just really didn't, I didn't have, I didn't have an area of life that was manageable anymore. And, and on a, and on a particularly dark day after I, I, you know, what I remember to be um, a series of dark days, (laughs) I had a particularly dark one and I was on the phone with a dear friend and she, and I, and I was, I was hysterical and I, I admitted to her that I was suicidal and she took this really seriously. And um, regardless of how serious I was when I said it, she took it very, very seriously. And she, she softly suggested that maybe I had a problem with alcohol. And astonishingly, it had not really occurred to me that this, this was a thing. Um, like, and even though, and you know, when I, when I looked back later, um, I had, I'm, you know, my doctor had mentioned that to me at one point, I, or maybe two or three points, like I, people had mentioned it. And I believe I'd even been handed a brochure or two for uh, 12 step uh, programs. And I never really made the connection. Um, I, and, and it wasn't until this moment when my dear friend who had known me for most of my life said, Hey, you know, Michelle, <laughs> do you think maybe you have a problem with alcohol? And, and I said, maybe I said, well, maybe, you know, and, uh, she didn't delay. She, she took that maybe and she ran with it and she made phone calls and she, she got in touch with, um, in the city I lived in, there was something called ADAC. She got in touch with them and um, she got in touch with anybody who would, who would give her information and called me back and said, okay, we're going to um, a 12-step group tomorrow, and you're, you know, I'll go with you, and this is what we're doing. You, know, you don't have to stay if you don't like it kind of thing. And I was like, oh, boy. You know? And so uh, you know, I did. I went to that, that meeting with her. She waited out in the car. And, uh, I, you know, I called it the getaway car. And, <laughs> and she, she waited there for me. And, and actually, and by, uh, by grace, I've remained sober since that day, that very first meeting. Uh, that isn't, you know, that isn't typical, I guess. But, it's, uh, but it does happen, and it happened to me. <laughs> it can happen. You can, you can decide to get sober and stay sober on the same day. It's pretty unreal. But um, that, that is what happened. And, uh, you know, following that first meeting, um, I, I, like I spent the next six years getting sober. You know, I, um, 
I threw myself into the 12 steps, 100%. I, you know, my, my life became almost exclusively at this point, meetings, approved literature, sponsors and friends in the recovery community, uh, service within that community. I was all in. I was, you know, just completely in. <laughs> like I, that, is, that is what I can really tell you. It was, uh, you know, and it was during that time, a lot of a lot of great things happened. I went back to school and I got married and I went on um, an epic honeymoon and I I moved to a new city and I became an art director at a, a great company and and I you know optically I had everything I'd worked for you know I I was sober I was I was living this awesome sober life that that was that was promised I was. I was happy, you know, and uh, I was still really involved in the recovery community. Uh, six years in, I was doing the deal in the new city, and uh, I was, but I was still struggling, you know, and I, I was frustrated by that because why was I still struggling? I'm, I'm, you know, I have what I've worked for. I'm doing well. I'm helping others. I'm doing the deal, you know. What is going on here? Why am I struggling? And and I believed, uh, you know, like I, I I didn't want I didn't want to drink. I should point out that at this point, the desire to drink for me um, had was not there. I I had worked through that. I had done through the process of doing the steps for me, and 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 working in that recovery community uh, and being of service that had, that had really rewired the, my brain. I, I really didn't have that desire to drink anymore. So even though I'm struggling and I'm still, I'm, you know, I'm still in recovery, I'm not thinking of, of drinking at this point. So I'm really frustrated. I, I don't know what's going on with me. And, uh, I, I, you know, I was having suicidal ideation. I was having emotional dysregulation. I was up, I was down. I couldn't, I couldn't seem to get it under control, you know, and I believed what I'd, what I'd heard in the in the, in the 12 step room, which was that all of my problems could be solved within the framework of the 12 steps. And I, I ran with that, you know, if I was struggling, I needed to do, I needed to do certain things. I needed to pray more. I needed to, to meditate more. I needed to go to more meetings. I needed to do more service. So, these things were were what I, I held on to during this this period, and I and I threw myself even harder into it, into these suggestions, and it, it just I mean it wasn't working, <laughs> you know it just it, it, I I wish it had I had done this for years with success, you know um, I I had successfully uh, gotten sober and remained sober for a period of time, you know and I. I was, and it was through doing these things that had, had got me there and, and they just weren't working on, on anymore for, for this particular piece, right? Um, you know, they'd kept me sober, but they weren't helping with this particular piece. And so even though I was doing everything I was quote unquote supposed to, um, my thinking was becoming more distorted and I was becoming more frustrated. And I didn't want anyone in the recovery community to see that I wasn't okay. And this is big because now I'm, I'm, I, I know I'm shifting at this point 
into a little bit of, um, you know, I, I'm shifting into that, into that place where I'm not being authentic. I'm not being honest. But my fear was, what if they suggested that I do even more? What if they suggest I do even more program work? <laughs> and at <laughs> that point, that was just, I couldn't fathom it. I was, I was, I had thrown myself into it so much that I, 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 I barely had um, anything else, you know? And so I was, I was really, um, I was really in a tough spot with it at this point. And I started to experience uh, panic attacks and rapid spikes in extreme highs and lows of emotion. And it was around this time that I started to self-harm in secret. And, uh, of course, this is all in secret at this point. I'm, I'm struggling. I don't know what to do. And I'm now doing something I know is not, again, here I am again. This is not a sustainable way to deal with this, you know, and yet here I'm doing it. And uh, it wasn't long uh, before my husband at the time caught me. And uh, we ended up, uh, we sought help together. We went to a couple's therapist and during one of those sessions, I became very emotional and my suicidal ideation kind of came up as a topic of discussion. Well, this was very alarming to the uh, therapist that we were with and I was sent to the hospital to meet with crisis intervention and a psychiatrist. And so I did that and uh, they got in touch with my GP and within a week, my family doctor and I had met with another psychiatrist and I was diagnosed for the first time with borderline personality disorder and um, was given a suggested course of treatment that included DBT, which is dialectical behavioral therapy. So this was a lot. Um, this, was, uh, this, was, this was some big stuff. Um, I, I began treatment and I proceeded with weekly appointments and DBT skills training, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. And uh, I also remained active in the recovery community at the same time. So I was doing, I was doing both. But uh, even, even still, all of that had been very hard on my relationship with my husband. And as a result, we did divorce not long after I began treatment. So those first two years of treatment were especially hard. I, you know, I was newly divorced and I was, um, I was sort of navigating my a, a new a new life my life looked a lot different now and uh, not only that I was I was working my way through uh, this this borderline personality disorder uh, piece which was new to me at this time and uh, a little bit a little bit frightening and a little bit uh, difficult to manage I was you know things had really escalated for me at this point um, even in sobriety and and Potentially, I, I, you know, on reflection, I wonder if not, uh, if, if, if it didn't come to light so much more, obviously, because of sobriety, thankfully, today. Um, but, you know, it was... It was Meaning a, it was, that it was hard it, to mask the, some of the behaviors that were, because yeah. of the borderline, were masked by the ups and downs of being an active addiction, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you, when very, you took that key. piece away it became more obvious that there was something else going on. Yes. You know, and that, and that was, that was so true for me. And, you know, and again, even, 
even going through, you know, that process where I was trying so, so hard, I was trying with everything I had to get um, these, these issues I was having in secret solved by the, the process that I had learned through 12 step program. You know, I, I just, and it wasn't, and, and it wasn't effective. So it was really a standalone piece and it, you know, so very, very key. Anyway, so yeah, the, the first two years of treatment were really hard. And, uh, you know, I had some really difficult days and I really hit the rumble strips a few times and sort of slipped back into that, you know, um, that place of, of trying to regulate with unhealthy things like, uh, you know, like self-harm or, you know, uh, something that um, I would do often was um, I would, I, there's something that, uh, um, there's something where I, where I would split, um, all good, all bad things are all good and all bad. Right. And so I would get into that place and I would experience extreme emotional dysregulation and not have a healthy way, um, at my disposal in those moments to, to get myself back to a place where I could just, you know, (laughs) function. So I had to I had to learn by going through all of this. I had to I had to go through it and have that support system in place that um, was aware of what I was going through and was um, willing to help and had answers. And so, because I was fortunate enough to have that, when I hit those rumble strips in those first two years, uh, I had I had that right there for me, and 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 was in a position where I was. Um, I was able to accept that help. So, so that's, I mean, that's, that's great. But I did, I did uh, find myself um, needing to unlearn a lot of, of that black and white thinking. I had to, you know, because it is common for those with BPD to split into all good and all bad, sometimes really rapidly, you know, um, I had to unlearn a lot of the, the absolutes that, I had I had really clung to uh, during my 12-step recovery process, and that was so give, that give was me an really example of that. difficult. Give me an example um, of that. Uh, thi- sure, uh, things things like um, to drink is to die, or to um, you know if if I it, the notion of if I don't do this as it's laid out, I will get drunk. If I, you know, things like that, uh, just really, really, you know, this is, this is a suggestion, but you know, if you don't do it, so things that were suggestions, I took as absolute hard and fast facts. And, um, you know, whether that was because of, uh, who I, you know, who I grew up with in the, in my 12 step program, I, you know, I'm not sure. It, it's a whole bunch of factors, but really, at the end of the day, it was my perception of of that information. It was my perception of how it was presented, and I clung to things that were absolutes. So, if it meant, so, it, even it, though you didn't, you know, if I, you didn't want to give up your abstinence, you wanted to stay away from alcohol, but yeah, but in order to do that, you were creating a lot of rules in your life that weren't serving you well because of having borderline personality disorder. Is that sort of Absolutely. how it came that, through? Okay. Yes. Oh, that's a great way to, that's a great way to say it actually. Yeah. You know, and I, and I, um, 
so as I, you know, as I went through this, I had to kind of, I had to kind of re, reframe a lot of that information because there is so much great information there and there's so much uh, power in those, in, in any process of recovery that, you know, that I, I really, I carried with me and it was so helpful, but I needed to, I needed to change my perspective. I needed to see it differently. And it was very, very difficult. In fact, probably one of the most difficult parts of my recovery from BPD has been that piece because I, because I clung to those ideas uh, with, you know, with such, I was, I mean, I was just ferocious about it. That was my life. As far as I was concerned, I only was alive because of that. And so I, it was, it was hard to kind of, kind of relaxed my grip <laughs> on, on, the, on the 12 step recovery process and, and having that be my life and my, and my saving piece. Right. And actually allow in this new information and allow in this new perspective of um, what is called uh, dialectical behavioral therapy. So um, dialectics is what I needed to, I needed to start applying in my life. And, uh, so I'm gonna. I just what, want to pause you for a little, for a quick moment in your story, Michelle, and we'll come back yeah, no, to where absolutely. you're at right now. No, so I love it. So where we're at in your story is you kind of hit a crossroads where the the process you were using to get sober started to bump heads with the process you needed to embrace in order to get well, and and recover and work a program of recovery for for um, borderline. And be, before we go forward in 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 um, DBT and and what that is and how that worked for you. I just want to go back a little bit for a minute and, mm-hmm, and talk absolutely. a little bit more about borderline personality disorder because I think it's a misunderstood term. I certainly didn't understand it until mm-hmm. you handed me a book to read. And um, <laughs> I, I, I think it often is confused with either bipolar disorder, which sort of sounds like BPD, and um, or it might be confused as something that's kind of mild because it has the word borderline in it. So you think, well, it's borderline. It's not quite, it's not that bad. How bad can it be? So yeah. before we go forward in your story, can you just circle back and sort of give us like an idea of what is borderline personality disorder and what does it feel like to have it? I know that's not a short answer, but. No, absolutely. Um, so borderline personality disorder is, centered in emotion dysregulation, so an inability to regulate your emotions. And uh, it is often confused with bipolar disorder. And it's, it's, and, and, but they are very different. And the, the most marked difference is the length at which the mood changes last. So in bipolar, you have a change in mood uh, that can last weeks. And typically, it's not dependent on environment. So it, it's going to happen no matter what, in a, in a person experiencing bipolar, they're going to, it doesn't matter what's going on in their world, they, they, will, have, they will have these episodes. Whereas with borderline personality disorder, uh, those mood changes, those, they happen really rapidly. They can happen uh, in, in, in a day. So you'll have several different mood changes in a day, and they're often triggered by uh, an experience or a circumstance, something happening right now. You know, and so that's that's a that's one of the distinct things that that 
makes them different. So it's uh, it, it's really um, and it is easy to confuse them. And I and and I know that even uh, in my case, when when I was first speaking with psychiatrists, they they weren't sure. And so I I did speak to two different psychiatrists and and just to be sure that it was was BPD and not uh, bipolar or or manic depression. So mm-hmm. uh, I, to, to really get that, that clear diagnosis, and BPD is really hard to diagnose because it is comorbid with so many things, right? It's uh, with addiction, with uh, depression, uh, with ADD, with uh, just a series of other, uh, you know, sort of mental disorders. So it's, it can be really difficult to see. And uh, for, again, uh, this, was a, this is a piece where, you know, it was really it was really fortunate that I was sober at the time that I was experiencing my symptoms, because you know there was that there could very easily have been a misdiagnosis, and and I may not have had access to the to the treatment that I got. So so yes, borderline is um, it's it's really it's that it's those emotions. It's that I can, you know not being able to put a, you know being triggered by something. Uh, mm-hmm. headaches, you know, flying into an emotion and then not being able to, to, to really come down from that emotion. You're feeling it so intensely. Like you just, you just feel the feelings. <laughs> that's so the best just, way I can, you know, for me, that's it, been it, so, so the thing. <laughs> so it's like the, the most extreme roller coaster you can imagine, right? And whereas maybe yeah. if someone was rude to me in a store, I might, I might sort of be a little bit offended and complain about it later. But for someone with BPD, mm-hmm. that could actually blow up into a real significant confrontation, for example, right? Um, Absolutely. Or, yeah. and, and the way you explained it earlier is when, you're, when you were a kid and experiencing this, it felt to the person with BPD, it feels like this is an appropriate response. You have just you know, broken my heart with your rudeness, right? Or, yeah, absolutely. or I feel unsafe yeah. or um, you, it's not as if you're working yourself up to that. It is the actual response that comes forward um, yeah. that feels the most natural is, is very extreme. Is that a fair way to describe it? Absolutely. Uh, that is, that has been my experience of borderline absolutely and uh and it it does fall in line with what uh what has been researched and what is out there for you know um the symptoms and the you know the results of of this this disorder so it's it, it very much is that it's that deep that that euphoric and that painful and that just just the full range of feeling you know, just kind of, it, it's, it's like normal feeling that got carried away, you know? Right. right. <laughs> you know, it's, so, it's, these are, I mean, cause I mean, if feelings are, I mean, emotion is so uh, crucial. I mean, it's crucial <laughs> and wonderful. And, and we all, we all are so lucky to, to have that range of emotion, but you know, when, when it gets to a place where it, it's just, it just kind of gets carried away you know, you're happy, but whoa, okay, now you're so happy. It's it's just it's it's a little bit frightening. You know, I mean, it's or or you're so depressed, you're not you're not functioning. That's where it it, it becomes uh, it becomes problematic. It becomes it it starts to affect your your life and well being, and and that's how you know 
it's it's how it's time to get help. <laughs> and how does how does um, dialectical behavioral therapy? What is that in a nutshell? And and why does it um, apply to borderline personality disorder? Sure. Well, um, so what I you know, and I'm not I'm not an expert, but I but what I know about DBT is from my experience with it, and I know that uh, it was pioneered by a lady uh, called. Martha Linehan, Dr. Martha Linehan, and uh, she she came up with this treatment method methodology, and uh, it was it I mean it has it has been very changing for you know I I, I believe for for those who are afflicted, but for me I mean it ha, it has really really been very effective. Um, so dialectics are, you know, um, the easiest way that I had it explained to me is it's just, it's taking two things that are, you know, that are different, two things that are opposing and allowing them both to be true and valid at the same time in your mind. And although that may seem very simple, <laughs> I found this almost just excruciatingly hard like I just it was it was so frustrating because I would assume if someone asked me can you hold two ideas in your mind you know uh, two opposing ideas my my answer would be of course but then to actually try to do it in in sort of those real life circumstances where I was splitting it was so so challenging and it took a long time and a lot of coaching and a lot of work to be able to do that naturally and to have it come naturally. And, uh, and when you that, say that, splitting, that, does that refer to seeing things as either all good or all bad, which then fuels those extreme emotions, right? Yeah, that yes, that's right. Absolutely. You know, because the, the borderline has the emotion mind and the logic mind, right? The, the, the one that's, you know, and I mean, it, in, in, and not to say left brain, right brain, that's not really what it is. It's uh, it's more of um you know the the emotion mind and and that that logical mind aren't working together and that's and that's where the that's where the problems sort of stir up because we have we have the emotion mind taking full control when you're dysregulating so when you're flying into an emotion it's there is it, it's without logic it's um there isn't there isn't that piece saying okay let's just take a minute here and is this right. is this reasonable is that you know that that logic has gone to bed and and emotion is on fire and so that's what's sort of happening is that that split that back and forth that black and white and uh and that's really where the rewiring needs to take place and uh dialectical behavioral therapy is one way that has proven to be very effective in in doing this so it's it's a it's a it's a really big it's a big program of treatment um it it includes uh you know you have everything from regular psychotherapy to uh skills classes to uh, phone coaching, and you're on. You make a minimum of a one-year commitment when you when you begin, and so it's really um, it's really about it's really about learning, uh, you know, learning those skills and really and really um, having that guidance and that coaching and that and that person watching you go through the arc of a year and in 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 my case many years, uh, you know what happens and, and observing 
uh, being observed and being helped through uh, those those extreme emotions, those and, and finding ways to manage that on my own. You know, because I don't. I, I, I the idea isn't to be on dialysis here. It is to actually learn these skills and go out and and be able to function normally and no longer show those symptoms, right? No longer experience those symptoms that I had when I first walked in the door. So, Mm -hmm. you know, DBT also has a little bit of CBT in it, right? So it's all, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's really interesting and it's actually not um, widely available in Canada specifically. Uh, I'm not sure about, I know um, it's, it's, it's available in the United States uh, and, and I'm not sure about uh, overseas, but I know that in Canada uh, we, we, it is available, but it's not, there isn't a lot of it. There isn't a lot of awareness around it. And so it's growing and it's, it's, it's happening. And, and, and I, my hope is, is that that really continues because that's going to, that's going to help a lot of people, you know? So, so I hope and that answers the question. I, you know, um, Yeah. It it does. And here's the ironic piece that I'm picking up from it is that one aspect of having borderline personality disorder, which is seeing things very much in black and white and being all in on, on, Mm -hmm. on what you buy into is that the, the program of sobriety that you chose, you were all in on that. You were very, very, very devoted to it. And it is quite a black and white program. And so that your, um, BPD in a way fueled your recovery to a point because it it did really help you like (laughs) significantly buy into it. But then as that came to, as, as your, as your addiction started to subside and then your mental illness started to take center stage, suddenly the, the treatment for those two things at the same time started to butt heads. And I think that's kind of the point of, of telling your story that you were at. So I'm going to have you come back to that point now and take us forward yeah. from, from that point in time where you started to recognize that in order to accept the treatment for borderline personality disorder, you had to relax your grip on some of the thinking a little bit that to this point had kept you sober and trust that you could do that and still stay sober. So how did you go forward from that point? Well, and and that's a, I mean, that's a great question because it was, uh, it was actually a, it took me a while, but it was a very conscious decision that I made. I was, uh, I had just celebrated my seventh sober anniversary and I I decided at that point, uh, it wasn't long after that, uh, to actually stop attending as a regular member of the 12-step community and focus solely on my efforts in DBT. Because as you say, I did find that they were butting heads. And uh, I knew that I was having some, I was getting some traction with this DBT. I was, I was making some progress and I was, I was really starting to feel like, hey, okay, you know, I, you know, I'm, I, I started to get those little glimpses of feeling good. And it, it's really interesting because it was almost, um, I really compared it a lot to how I felt in early recovery from alcoholism. There were so many similarities in terms of uh, those, those moments of, um, you know, what I would call 
those those spiritual awakenings where you make those realizations where you realize hey oh my gosh that worked when you have something that that uh, that changes in you and you see it in action those little pieces were happening in um, in my recovery in dialectical behavioral therapy and so as I was experiencing this, I, you know, and as I was going through that difficult change, because like I say, this was, and I, you know, I know for, I, I've, I've spoken to so many people since that, you know, say, well, you know, really, why, why so extreme? You know, um, it's not that big of a deal, you know, you don't go to as many meetings, but for me, it was a big deal. This was a huge deal <laughs> um, in my world, uh, which had almost entirely, been focused for the previous seven years around the 12 step community. Um, it was, you know, to, to change that, to alter it was, was really scary because like you say, would I still stay sober? And, you know, I, um, you know, with, with help from, you know, the community that I, you know, was in, that I was now seeing more often, uh, my, you know, my therapist, the, the other therapists, um, and other people that were in the group with me. So I was in this, I was in this new, I was in this new program of recovery really is what it is. And, and that is kind of how I framed it in my mind and how I was able to, you know, step back and say, okay, you know, this has run its course and this is where I need to be now. And, you know, I, I started to see that as one of the first things that I actually was able to see dialectically was that I could be sober and not be in a 12-step program actively at the same time. And that was something that I couldn't see. You know, uh, that, that, wasn't an, that wasn't an easy thing to come to, but it was one of the very first things that um, I was able to really get my head around when I was, uh, when I was in early recovery from borderline was, okay, I can be sober <laughs> and not be in active 12-step recovery. So I, you know, it, and, and even still uh, that, you know, saying that now is, uh, it feels okay to me today, but it was a long time before I could say that and feel okay about it. Uh, and, and that was just my experience. You know, um, I'm fortunate. I still have, I'm still connected with people in the 12-step community that have been lovely and supportive of me in this entire, you know, in this entire past six years. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really great. And I do have a lot of great things to say about, about that community and about that experience, because as you say, it's interesting how, um, you know, it really was in every way, exactly what I needed at that time. And I don't know that I would be here today where I am without it. So it's, right. it's really quite something, you know, so that was, uh, you know, that, that seventh sober birthday, that was four years ago. And, uh, you know, so today I'm, you know, I still, I remain a recovered alcoholic and I believe myself to, uh, I can, I can confidently say I'm also a treated borderline. And so what I mean by those two pieces is that I no longer present the symptoms that would meet the criteria to be required for diagnosis. And I no longer um, have the symptoms that I had when I w walked into the rooms of, of the 12 step recovery. When I, when I was first, you know, when I was first realizing that I had a problem with addiction, you know, I no longer have those symptoms. So I'm, you know, this is a pretty cool place to be all these years later. <laughs> you know? it, it is. And um, actually yeah. to call yourself a recovered alcoholic is, is language that we don't, 
often hear because, um, you know, a lot of us look at it as an ongoing process. And I, I do think that mm-hmm. your recovery is very much alive and part of your everyday life. But um, absolutely. I can, yep. I can see how it's important for you to put it in that framework and say, you know, I'm on to the maintenance phase of it now or that, you know, it's not to say that yeah. you've abandoned, um, you know, staying alcohol free or abandoned even valuing. No everything you learned in a 12-step program. So um, to, to use the word recovered alcoholic instead of um, recovering alcoholic is a, is a conscious yes. choice on your part, right? And, um, it, and, it and is. one and that, y- yeah. it could spark a long, long heated discussion <laughs> amongst people <laughs> in the recovery community. Uh, and yes. we don't, we, you know, we're not looking, you're not trying to be controversial with that. It's just, it's important to have it in that framework for you, right? That's um, right. And, you know, yeah, that, and that's interesting. And it's funny because I would hear that um, I had, there was a, there was a fairly split view on that when I was, when I was active in, in that community. Um, some would say they were recovered. Others would say recovering. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't really take a stand on either, either way. I just kind of said what was comfortable, um, you know, which at that time was recovering. I I didn't feel that I had recovered, you know, and, and to be fair, uh, you know, I, I don't feel that um, I've stopped learning or I've, and I, I, I still have so far to go. I mean, you know, the more I learn, the less I know is true for me. Right. That's, uh, that's, that's the truth. So yeah, um, again, just uh, to use the term recovered, to use the term treated, I use those terms now um, more to frame those original, you know, am I still, uh, am I still experiencing the symptoms that brought me in the door the first day? You know, no, I'm not experiencing those symptoms. Um, that's not to say that there isn't maintenance required for sobriety and there isn't maintenance required for, you know, managing those those emotions. So. So yeah, that's um, yeah. <laughs> hey, as predicted, we're running short from. on time, and I still have a bunch of things I want to ask you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I knew this would happen because you're just so <laughs> darn interesting. Um, the one thing I wanted to mention was that it is common, and you you said this earlier, but I want you to talk about it a little bit more. It is common mm-hmm. for people with borderline personality disorder to have a dual diagnosis of something else. And so, you know, the way I said it is it's mm-hmm. not common for alcoholics to have BPD, but it is common for those with BPD to have an addiction. Um, can you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is such a great question because there, um, there's a statistic that approximately 38% of people with BPD meet criteria for substance abuse. So that's a lot. That's, that's a good chunk of people with BPD who are struggling with this. And mm-hmm. I, and, and, you know, from what I've read, you know, and I, like I say, I'm not, I'm really not an expert, but in my, from what I've read and in my own experience, the symptoms are so similar, you know, I mean, we've got, we've got some confusion that's bound to happen here, you know, and, and I think, uh, you know, like the, the things that happen when you're a borderline and the things that happen when you're an alcoholic are, are different, but, you know, things like um, mood swings, impulsive and self-destructive behavior, uh, manipulative and deceitful behavior, instability in relationships, 
you know, your instability in jobs and finances. You know, these things are are very, very, they're characterized <laughs> the same. You know, I mean, those are the same symptoms that you hear in a person who is, you know, struggling with an addiction. And so when, you, when you're being assessed for borderline and those same things are on the list, well, it's no wonder that there's a comorbidity there, right? Mm-hmm. And I also believe for myself, you know, I was, I think there really is something to the the needing to medicate that um, those those out of control emotions to bring them down to numb them to somehow <laughs> to somehow manage them uh, they, because and it's not effective but it it is it is something right and it, it works that, at first right that's why we all do yeah. it it works at first exactly like right first. and it's <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and if, and if, and if you're, you know, uh, someone who was, was born with a biological vulnerability to addiction, well, then when you pick that, when you pick up that, that drug or of choice, whatever that may be for, you know, for anyone, I mean, you're, you're bound to, um, I mean, you're susceptible. So, you know, for me, it was, um, it, it was absolutely when I picked up alcohol, I, I really felt, you know, I I was, I was born with that, with that vulnerability. I, I had, I had that waiting, (laughs) you know, um, waiting. My, my mind was just waiting for alcohol and I didn't, I didn't know. And so, you know, it's, you know, again, it's cause and effect, which came first, right? It's really interesting, but um, it's also, I should also mention that it's really difficult to diagnose borderline or any mental disorder in an active addict. So it's, you know, I mean, ideally, if somebody can have a period of sobriety, it's ideal. But, you know, it's, and I was, and I feel very lucky that I had that without, you know, without, I didn't consciously do that. But if, if there's a way to, um, if there's a way to have a period of sobriety, uh, if you're feeling, you know, if, if, if this is something that you can identify with, that is, that is going to help get that real, that clear diagnosis, right? So it's, it's, it's worth mentioning, <laughs> you know, because yeah. it's, it's very, very hard and it's common, you know? So, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, can you recommend some, um, for people that want to learn more about this, whether for themselves or for, if they're hearing something in the story you're telling that makes them think maybe someone in their life uh, may be affected by this or that they just want to learn more because it is a fascinating topic. Um, can you point us mm-hmm. in the direction of some resources? Sure. Uh, a great place to start uh, in Canada um, is innersolutions.ca. They have a lot of great information on their site, but they also have a really great resources page. And those, uh, the books that are on there um, have been read by, by the pros, and, they, and they're, um, they're the ones that would be recommended. Uh, you know, I, I found for myself that when I started Googling around, very much like when you Google around, uh, you know, about anything, you get a really kind of bizarre range of stuff, and a lot of it is not true. So, <laughs> it's, um, so beware. You know, it's nice to, <laughs> yes, it's, it's great to have a, a resource like innersolutions.ca where you can go and, and it's all there and it's already been vetted. <laughs> great. You don't have to, it's done, they've done the legwork. <laughs> So that's great for BPD. And then, you know, uh, there's also information there about different recovery uh, programs as well. They, they are aware of those as well. So if there's anything that you need for addiction, they, 
they uh, have some information on that as well on that site. So that that would be my best recommendation. (laughs) Now, I also want to point out to our listeners that you and I collaborated on a project last summer, and that was that Michelle is a is a graphic artist, a graphic designer who does beautiful work. Um, and your website is violetdivine.com. You're on Instagram at, at violetdivine. And um, I hired Michelle to do um, my logo for Unpickled. And we had fun working on this together. And I knew that you would do a great job with it because being a person in recovery, uh, I knew and you wouldn't just go to the sort of the silly cliches of like, I don't know, you know, a wine glass with a line through it. <laughs> and <laughs> sure enough, um, after we went back and forth a few times, you were the person who really looked at the words unpickled and recovery and, and pulled out un and re from those two words and created this graphic of of on and re on being a backup and and re being a move forward to sort of encapsulate the whole concept of what recovery is which is sort of undoing the misconceptions we have and redoing relearning you know recreating our lives and unlearning undoing understanding and um and because I had said, oh, I, I want to try and come up with like the secret code for recovery. And, and, <laughs> and you came up with this. So anyway, I encourage people to um, visit my blog, which is unpickledblog.com. And you'll see uh, Michelle's work there on the logo. And if you go to the desktop version, not the mobile version, but if you go to the desktop version, you'll also be able to see on the sidebar, I have a little video there that I created using that unreconcept. I specifically point out I created it because if Michelle had created it, <laughs> the words would have lined up better because she's perfect. No. In fact, she, she re, when I sent her the outline for this podcast, she sent it back to me with some notes and she had formatted it way nicer. <laughs> so, so, oh, no. so the, the video, the unre video, I, I confess if you're looking at it and going, well, that's not perfect. That's because I did it. Not because Michelle did it, but but her, uh, her graphic design is on there. Oh, and on the Unpickled Shop, too. Um, I took all the designs you created and put them onto, like, underwear and T-shirts and mugs. And um, so you can go, you can click on that link on my website as well and, and look at that. Uh, and on your website, violetdivine.com, you can see not only uh, some of your um, professional work that you've done, but you are also an amazing artist, and I love uh, your paintings that you come up with. I love peeking Aww. inside your mind with your paintings. So I encourage everyone to check that out. Um, we are short on time, but Michelle, any closing thoughts or any any final words for our listeners as we prepare to say goodbye? Uh, you know, just uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to talk today and uh, stay curious, everyone. Stay curious. That's <laughs> what gets Uh-oh. me through. <laughs> <laughs> and keep laughing. There's a lot of laughter yes. with you as well. Awesome. Yes. Well, thank you. Michelle, thank you so much for your candor and your insight here today. And thanks to our audience for listening. I do predict that there will be a major onslaught of feedback and questions from this episode. So if you're listening and you'd like to know more, you can email me at thebubblehour at gmail.com and I will do my best to help you find what you're looking for. Uh, be sure to visit my blog on Pickled to see Michelle's work as we discussed, watch that Unre video, and you can learn more about this podcast at thebubblehour.com, which is supported by the Shining Strong Foundation at shiningstrong.org. Thanks for listening, everyone. Take good care.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.